Welcome to the Payroll Podcast with your host, Nick Day. Find out what it takes to truly discover what it takes to elevate your career within payroll as we meet with the industry leaders who are shaping the industry for tomorrow. Hello and welcome to today's payroll question time. Welcome. What a couple of weeks it's been. Liz Truss has come in and Liz Truss has left again. Kwasi Kwarteng has come in and Kwasi Kwarteng has left again. Uh, the mini budget and growth plan that we spent so much time discussing at last month's PQT. Well, most of that's all been scrapped. So who knows? By the time the next PQT comes around, we'll have Boris back in charge. No comments required. Meanwhile, for those I'm sure you're all familiar, we have a new chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, who's made so many U-turns, all of which we're going to be discussing in today's episode of PQT. Jeremy Hunt has reversed most of the mini-budget measures ahead of his medium-term fiscal event on the 31st of October, so I'm sure the next PQT is going to be equally interesting as well. Changes that are announced are estimated to be at a cost to the taxpayer worth $32 billion a year. So today we're going to find out exactly what is in and what is out. So stay tuned because today's PQT is not going to be too dissimilar to the hokey cokey. Now, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Nick Day. I'm the founder of JGA Payroll Recruitment. I'm a Reward 300 member and have been, I think, for the last four years now. Um, I'm very, very passionate about payroll. I even have my own podcast called The Payroll Podcast, dedicated entirely to the world of payroll, of which you will find these previous recordings as well. If you want to find out more about what you've missed in PQT, time gone by. But Enough about me. Let me introduce you to our fantastic panel. I'm going to introduce you to someone I know very well. In fact, I've cycled with him throughout Europe. His name is Richard George. He's Director of Education at the Payroll Centre. Richard, introduce yourself uh, if you can. Yeah, thanks, Nick. And hello, everybody. And uh, welcome to today's political broadcast uh, on behalf of the payroll um, organisation. I think it's going to be a, a very challenging one. So my name is Richard George. As Nick quite rightly said, um, I've been involved in the payroll industry now for 36 years so I, I took my first payroll job when I was four um, because there's no way in the world I'm any older than that. Um, so I run uh, all education, thought leadership and output from the payroll centre. Um, so we're the UK's largest face to face training company in the payroll industry. Uh, and we therefore obviously see thousands of you every single year. Uh, and that gives us a very good, I guess, start point of understanding where the profession is. Um, like Nick, passionate about payroll. It's all I've ever done. Um, and uh, really looking forward to today. Fantastic. And our next panel industry heavyweight, Simon Parsons. Yeah, good afternoon, everyone. It's good to be back with you again. Uh, great to see. Uh, it's nice to go through a nice static period, isn't it, of not much happening around in the world, uh, which I don't think we've seen in payroll for at least three years. Um, so my background, I've been involved in IT payroll development since 1984. Can you believe it? What's that, 38 years? Uh, on and off in for various organizations, but with SD Works now for the past 25 and a half years. So on this uh, stint, been with them before as well. I'm also, uh, like Nick, uh, Richard, are you part of payroll, uh, the Reward 300 as well? I think you Absolutely. probably are. Absolutely, I'd have been my badge if I'd have thought about it. So, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've all got our little pin. So we're all members of the Reward 300, um, have been for some time. And uh, now it's great to be with you. Uh, we'll predict the next prime minister, will we? We'll take odds. Well, I'm delighted to say we've already had some questions coming in. So please, please, please keep them coming. I'm going to get to those in just a moment. Before we do, let's introduce today's topics of discussion, which will be no surprise to many of you. We are, of course, going to talk about the Chancellor's emergency budget, what's in, what's out, what it means for payroll, looking ahead to November and beyond. 
HMRC's new starter checklist, which has just been launched. We're going to talk about that. And of course, if we have time, we're going to deal with some more Q&A and some hot topics as well. But before we jump into the emergency budget, we know it's going to take a little bit of time to get through everything. We're going to start with our first poll. We're going to check you all awake. Poll number one is this. Our question, do you agree with all reversals in the new budget? Very simple answer. Yes, no or not sure. I'm sure everyone's going to have an opinion on this. I'm quite excited to see the results. Uh, so while we're waiting for those to come in, I'm going to ask uh, Simon our first question of the day, which comes in from Carrie. She says, and we are going to cover this in the show anyway, but I'll ask it while it's live. Do you think it is a possibility that the health and social levy will be back in starting from April 23? Uh, for April 23, I doubt it is the initial feeling. So that's a proposal that is continuing to go forward is the repeal of the health and social care levy. However, we could end up with the politicians that brought it in in the first place. So uh, if either of those or both of those or whatever are reappointed in a new government, we may find the health and social care levy reappears. But um, but at this point in time, April 23, no. Fantastic. Well, let's see how we've got on with the uh, these results coming in there. I didn't think this one will take too much time to get the results in. If we can close those off, I'm going to ask Richard to comment on the results. Oh, pretty pretty close split between the yes and no's and the not sure's. What are your thoughts on those results there? Yeah, I think uh, there's a number of things here. Firstly, you know, we are still really four or five months or well, more than that, five months away from the bulk of the change. So I think people are probably putting a little bit on the back burner given all the other stuff that's going on but I think also Simon's right in this I guess time of change who knows what the actual position is I think the more yeses are going to be those who have been included in things like IR35 um, because again that's been a bit topsy-turvy and for employers creates quite a lot of uh, administrative work where they may have been sort of brushing their foreheads a couple of weeks ago thinking well actually that's quite good um but I think also, you know, we're going to talk probably more about the political situation today. But principally, you've got to consider that we were in a position where promises were made to get a job, which really the country wasn't in a position to make. Um, so, you know, where our wonderful Mr. Hunt has sort of reversed so much, you'd certainly think that a lot of that is just pretty much common sense, given the fiscal situation of the country. So... Yeah, I think you've summarised that pretty well. Any additional commentary you'd like to add to that, Simon? No, I think that's right. Um, so I guess it could be viewed that Jeremy saved the nation from disaster, but actually all he's done is switch off most of the measures that were announced. <laughs> and so yeah. he, he, we've just returned to how it was, but with some exceptions. Mm-hmm. But I think I, I think the whole Hustings uh, situation got to the point of of promising, promising, promising. Whereas actually was there, uh, was the candy in the tin? Uh, I'm not sure if there was. Yeah, it was a, it was a live experiment and we've already seen the results, uh, hit yeah, the market. Yeah, I think so. It's also quite, quite, it's also quite interesting. I was listening to the radio this morning and, uh, they were talking about the fantastic fiscal plan and policy that Jeremy Hunt has. Well, what is it? Because all we've actually seen him do so far is reverse out stuff that had already been said. So, uh, I'm quite challenged and intrigued by what that actually looks like. 
Exactly. So let's let's dive into some yeah. of the, the changes. We know that corporation tax has been cancelled, dividend tax has been cuts, been cancelled, um, the basic rate of income tax remain at twenty percent indefinitely. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Off pair working, something I know Richard's real expert on. We're going to talk about that as well. Uh, let's start with uh, the plans to reduce the basic rate of income tax from twenty percent to nineteen percent in April, being scrapped. Then, um, Simon, I'm going to let you take the floor here. Yes. Okay, so yeah, this is one of the policies. This was actually a Boris and, and Rishi proposal for April 2024. And, uh, uh, Liz and Quasi just brought it forward 12 months. So on the face of it, it seems a reasonably, um, sensible idea, I guess, if we can afford it. But can we? That's a different matter. Uh, so, but the uh, reversal isn't just a reversal of the proposal to bring it forward 12 months. It's actually a reversal of the proposal altogether. So there is no longer an intention to introduce it in April 2024 either. Although there is an indication that when the nation turns around and we're all growing, uh, the economy is growing and everybody's doing fine, that we will look at it at some point in the future. But 23 and 24 for the drop from 20 to 19 percent is off. Both are off. So they've gone. And uh, and that's been indicated as occurring for the foreseeable future. Now, whether a future politician will want to spring something out of the, you know, the rabbit out of the hat, we'll see. But at the moment, it's gone. And I understand the dividend tax cuts have been cancelled as well. And that's worth bringing up here. Yeah, that, that's an interesting one, Nick, because that is the health and social care levy partly, isn't it? So although the health and social care levy has been repealed for us ordinary oiks, if I call us that, um, it hasn't for uh, directors who want to pay themselves dividends. So the 1.25% increase on dividend tax, you know, the first £2,000 is still tax free, is still going ahead. So that part of the health and social care levy changes hasn't been repealed, which is interesting. I think one of the we're going to jump into some of that. Richard, I'll come to you just one moment while I've got it here because we're on the dividend piece. The corporation tax cuts have also been cancelled. I know we're not we're not necessarily payroll related to all these areas, but I think it's worth a, a brief mention. But do you believe that you know? So this is two things. So if you look at the tax deduction that they were going to make to um, to uh, the individual, this was in the policy 10 years ago from the government um, that by the end of this government, we would see or this this period of conservative leadership that we would see a deduction in tax. Obviously, 2024 is the year of the election. So I guess if you look back to 2020 uh, uh, situation with Rishi, um, principally, he's put that in place as a commitment at the last year of the Conservative government because it's always been in their manifesto to do so. Um, when, you know, what we then saw with uh, with the newer government was they were then just using that as another sort of carrot on a stick. But when it comes to companies, you know, do you start thinking and also obviously the higher paid, do you believe, and I'll, I'll ask Simon this, do you think that this is almost a knee-jerk reaction because of the reaction to the 45% removal that, you know, they're giving everything to the rich and therefore they're now almost going the other way, hence with the dividends and alike, and obviously the, the end of the uh, possible reduction in the corporation tax on the bigger employers? Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's an element here of... Um, uh, 
balancing the books probably wasn't on the original agenda. I'd agree. Of, um, the <laughs> the so. mini budget, and now, and but I'm not sure if it was necessary on the agenda of the prior either. But because of the reaction of the market, it's on the agenda of Jeremy Hunt and Co. to get that confidence back in the UK economy. So hence why um, I think we were into a stage of uh, spend and say and not have to pay tax because that would drive growth. Uh, not my words, there were, were sort of thing to increase the, the wealth of the economy eventually through trickle down economics. Uh, the reality is um, they're now having to uh, justify the spending and debt of the nation as a consequence of the proposals. And that probably goes deeper than the previous administration. Probably say they probably weren't planning on doing that. Uh, and so it may actually accelerate an element of austerity. It's just a thought. Well, really interesting questions come in from Amanda here, which uh, to bring it back into the world of, of, of payroll and how, it, how it's going to impact. Payroll. We've got obviously got the uh, the payroll apprenticeship scheme, which has uh, had huge success and a lot of uptake. To ask the question, do you think there'll be any impacts on the apprenticeship levy going forward? There's nothing proposed yet. However, the threshold isn't being raised either. So the capture of employers uh, having to pay the levy will just naturally increase without it actually appearing as if any rise has occurred. Yeah, I'd say it's a very quiet area because I think uh, the government have always wanted it to be even more of a success. So, you know, the usual sort of hollering that comes out is about increase in use, increase in expansion rather than change of. So I think if they made any announcements about alteration, especially to the employer's contribution, I think that would probably push a few people over the edge. Yeah, I might be inclined to uh, to agree with you. So tell us a little bit, Simon, about the uh, the plans for the new VAT uh, free shopping for international tourists being scrapped and how that might impact. Well, yeah, this is more an economic thing than a payroll matter. But the intention was to encourage people to come and spend their money in the UK. So uh, um, from overseas, so tourists, etc., could just come and at point uh, buy fat free shopping. Uh, to potentially take back to the home nation. And uh, I, I guess that incentive, which we've probably been seeing there to encourage tourism from overseas, has been removed as a, as a consequence. Although that was looking as if it would affect um, some uh, amount of money from the economy by uh, promoting it, I guess the intention was to actually build up the amount of uh, turnover and sales in the tourist-type industry. I think it was the only mm. thing in the plan that actually brought money back in, wasn't it, as opposed to mm. <laughs> going yes. out? Yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot of countries where that is the case. You know, if you go to you know, yes. the Caribbean, for instance, it's at point of till, as it is in so many countries. But uh, I think it's just, a, uh, oh, are they sort of working on the grounds that we're making ourselves more open to suggestion, that we're giving money to others again, 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 again? Um, and it could it could it be part of that as well. But obviously, it's a fiscal decision because um, the amount of VAT is probably quite a large level at the initial point. Let's let's move the conversation forward and back into the realms of payroll and off payroll working R35. I'm going to start with Richard here because I know Richard has traveled up and down the country training people on R35, making sure people are compliant. 
Then it got scrapped. Now it's coming back. I'm gonna, this is definitely one for you to take the floor with, Richard. So, uh, tell yeah, us all that. So I was a little bit worried. I was going to have to start giving people refunds years ago, which could be carnage. I think you saw about 12, uh, 1,200 people go through it. Like that. Thank goodness for that. Um, uh, it made no sense, I think, the initial announcement to scrap it. Um, there was a very, very good reason why the process was changed, um, especially in the private sector. You know, the public sector had been, I guess, creating and adapting since 2017. It made sense the private sector came in as well, because if you sort of looked at the stats that came out of government at the time when they were making the announcements back in sort of 2019, 2020 of the amount of taxation that wasn't being collected, there was uh, you know, a huge reason for it. It was you know, billions of pounds <laughs> within the first 10 years. Um, so to then make the decision to try and turn it around seemed very counterproductive. Um, especially in the public sector, where it had been the norm for four years already, and that that was the process. So it, it almost makes you feel like, why did you even bring this one up? Um, how is it going to improve or, I guess, increase the level of compliance and, and money being received? Um, a lot of employers, as you would imagine, spent a lot of time and a lot of money creating process. A lot of contracts were changed or ended because oh, of the variation. I'm one of those people <laughs> to do that yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's have me come in your office and talk to you, for goodness sake. I mean, how bad could it be? Um, but also, um, as I was saying, you know, not only that fiscal aspect, but where did the value come from moving it back to where it was? You know, the, the only sort of argument was, well, it will reduce the administration on employers. Well, they've had a few years to get used to that now. Um, so it's one of those, why did you get rid of it? And now you look fairly ridiculous bringing it back again. Um, and it's probably one of actually, even though the least effect on the general public, one of the ones from our side that is probably the most ridiculous decisions in my mind, obviously, um, of, of the lot. Yeah. We've had an interesting question coming here from Ben. It says, do you think, I'll, I'll leave this with you, Richard, if I can for the moment. Do you think the IR35 rules strike a fair balance considering employees of personal service companies essentially fund their own holiday, pension, etc.? Um, I think so, on the grounds that, it, you know, they are still receiving income and it's the income that's being uh, considered. Um, so what it is, it's a far more stringent because it's for the employer's own interests. Um, to ensure that the liability is paid on income. Um, you know, because you can say the same about the self-employed um, or casual workers. So it's not a unique situation in that respect. Um, I guess, you know, the, the irony of it as well, though, which is, is for the employer, which would probably make them happier, is obviously by doing it through um, the uh, payer, um, there is additional cost to the company because obviously you've got ERS and I which certainly wouldn't have been something that would have been a situation before. So I think it's a very double-edged sword for an employer. Um, there would have been a cost saving for the employer, which is great. But on the other side of it, you know, the government are trying to collect money to pay the, what is it, eight billion pounds service charge on interest a year. And therefore, surely they should have the correct boundaries in place to ensure that they're getting what they should be each year. 
Uh, are, we, are we expecting it just to be purely scrapped or do we think in that there might be more balances to be had here? There may be some amendments or it was just a, a knee jerk. That's just the, just. No, I, I genuinely think it was a knee jerk reaction to put it back to how it was. You know, what they've scrapped is removing the process that we've had since 2021 yeah. um, and for the public sector since 2017. Um, and whether the argument was it will reduce the administrative costs on the employer and reduce their ERSNI bill. I mean, really, what are we talking here fiscally? I mean, it's not a huge percentage of most employers' workforce. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, 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 it just seems a little bit naive is the word any, I'm going any, to you. Any comments you'd like to add to that, Simon, from, from your perspective? Well, it's it's a strong, quite an emotive uh, subject, off payroll working, and there is a very strong lobby group out there. There's a that will have been uh, heavily into uh, various politicians, and equally, a lot of the politicians have come from an entrepreneurial type background, so they may well have been these types of contractors or had their own personal service companies or deal with uh, that or have associates with it. So I guess on the one hang- angle, there's a sort of a view that it's, is it actually denying entrepreneurialism? Uh, the other hand is, um, are these actually quite often heavily used as mechanisms to avoid paying income tax and national insurance? Um, because you're a director getting, I don't know, um, £150,000 income to your business, yet you only pay yourselves £12,579 a year. Well, that's a coincidence. Um, the rest all is all under expenses. So it's very difficult, isn't it? Or And you pay yourself £2,000 in dividend tax-free. Um, so it's it's a difficult one. I guess the challenge is, um, has a, is it a hammer to crack a nut? Or, um, and how does the government tackle the real problem? And I think that's always going to be a floating thing. And we see it because with the naming of tax avoidance schemes uh, and uh, this year, the transfer has gone from PSCs to umbrellas. And uh, then we've got umbre- and we had PSCs, of course, who were doing loan schemes where they're offshoring loans and never having to pay them back to now be captured where now they're under an umbrella where they're actually an employee, yet, again, uh, the money seems to be filtered through the Cayman Islands and returned in loans that never had to be paid. So we've had a number of those named, and it's, it's sort of old ideas seem to get reborn in other means. So it's a, a very difficult one. And, of course, we in payroll have to deal with aspects of that, of dealing with the umbrella but the funny thing about lots of those arrangements is a number of them are in public sector. So they're not even private sector yeah. areas, but that then affects others. And, and so if we talk about the, the negative side of this on a social aspect is this is actually affecting lower paid workers in the NHS or care sector or other similar types of organizations where you think, should they really be in personal service companies? Should they really be under umbrella employment agency or should they just be an employee? And so it gets very uh, difficult because not all of these cases have been uh, people that are earning tens of thousands or well, hundreds of thousands of pounds. Some of them are only earning, you know, 20 to 30,000 pounds a year. Yet they've been put through a vehicle um, that uh, 
that then traps them into significant debt repayment. And I think this was going to be my follow on statement is exactly that. There is off payroll workers and off payroll workers. And let's put it. So obviously from doing so much work with the subject a couple of years ago, you know, you look at some of the areas, even in the private sector, where the largest uh, groups of off payroll workers are quite often it's charities. Yeah. Which you wouldn't think about. So we did a lot of work um, in 2020 with a number of very high profile charities and a huge number of their workforce came under off payroll working. Um, and that's certainly not the same demographic um, that Simon obviously started with, where we're talking about real tax avoidance, possibly through senior leadership and using the process and systems that they have. So I think, you know, it. I hate to use a phrase double edged sword, but it truly is uh, in relation to how it affects people and what the variation would have meant um, from the original announcement by whichever chancellor it was before this one. Well, we've got lots to get through. What I'd like to do, we've got 116 people watching at the minute. I want to get them all involved in our next poll um, because we want to get through all of these uh, these chance uh, changes. So the poll for the next one is, when will uh, you start planning for the Chancellor's proposed changes? We're now, of course, referring to Jeremy Hunt's changes uh, now that we're moving in, out, in, out. So uh, right away, I'll wait until I know it's definitely happening this time around. Or not sure. Perhaps the responses will change slightly now that uh, Liz Truss has since left as well. I think we wrote this poll before that had even happened. Uh, so please yeah. do put your responses in. Let us know what you think. And I'm going to ask for some commentary on those as they come in. While we're waiting for that, there's another question that comes in from Stacey that says, does anyone know when we expect to hear about national minimum wage rates for 2023? Uh, so I wonder if you could answer that question um, just while we're waiting for those poll results to come in. No, it's a great question. It's a question I keep on asking all the time. Um, let's see if something's announced on the 31st of October uh, is the suggestion. So the sort of more formal budget was was uh, announced as being on the 23rd of November. That's now being moved forward. So we may get some announcements or confirmations on the 31st of October, or it may be. They won't be announced before uh, until around the 23rd because the 31st of October, I think, is about uh, settling the market unrest and bringing in the OBR, uh, et cetera, and, and showing that we can actually balance the books. So, yes, and that goes for other things as well. When will the student loan thresholds be known? When will the national insurance thresholds be known? It goes on and on and on. But uh, yeah. there is an indication. So there was a consultation of values. So those sorts of consultation are known of what the uh, the uh, I forgot what they call themselves now the uh, um, low pay commission were proposing, but we don't actually at this point know what was recommended to the government for going ahead. No, I was, I was going to follow that on. There is, I think, there are periods of time we would usually expect to see certain things because decisions are made based on the CPI, um, statutory payments being a classic example. Um, there will be a date in October when that is decided, but you know, I can't believe that we're going to see them this year till later and um, because we have this real issue this year. And that is usually it's based on inflation. Um, if we start basing some of our increases on inflation, it could make the country more bankrupt than it already is. Um, so I think there is going to be a lot of conversations that need to be had as to exactly what rate they're going to increase things by. You may have already seen last month that they were talking about uh, inflation on benefits. 
that they can't use the normal format or they weren't going to use the normal format under Liz Trust because the increase would have been too high. So I think there is a lot of um, umming and ahhing to be done in the next sort of four weeks. Yeah, really interesting point you raised there, there, Richard. And thanks so much for the question there, Stacey. So let's um, jump back into these poll results then. Let's see what the results say. Uh, just remind everyone uh, of the question, which is when will you start planning for the chance to post changes? So we've got 15% say right away. 65% say I'll wait until I know it's definitely happening. And 21% say it's not sure. Interestingly, we've got a comment in here from Jessica that says for the NI reduction right away, anything else, I'll wait. So what are your thoughts on those results, Simon? Well, that seems that comment there seems fairly sensible. So I think, yeah, we're in that sort of position as we do we as payroll professionals actually, actually know what's going to go on for the next year. At the moment, um, we're probably all feeling a little bit clueless, even those that um, may be in the know a little bit. There's an element of, well, it could turn next week. And, uh, but, uh, but correct on the national insurance changes, they're going ahead from 6th of November. So be prepared for them. There are things. Yeah, I think we're going to talk about it separately in a minute. So I'm not going to delve into the NI one quite yet. But uh, I think we could have guessed the answer on this poll. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You could have had the same same question of who's going to be prime minister the week after next. And it was, I don't know. I'll wait and see what happens. So. Yeah, absolutely right. We've had some commentary come in from Kristen. It says, uh, for commentary on your poll, our company budgeted to provide a cost of living payment to employees based on the tax deductions previously advised. Now that those have been reversed, we're not sure what will happen. So we're not doing anything else until things are confirmed. Uh, interesting. And thank you ever so much for the interaction we're getting today. Lots and lots of questions, lots of commentary coming in. Keep it coming. I'll do my best to read them all out if I can as well. So please do keep putting your questions to our panel. Let's jump back in then to the, uh, to the budget and to everything that's happening uh, since uh, the proposed changes were, were brought in. Um, I know that um, Richard just mentioned we're going to get into NI in just a moment. Before we get there, though, let's talk a little bit about the energy bills for households, because um, I wondered if uh, if one of you can pick, take the floor, really. We're talking about how that will only last till April and, and the reversals there. I'll, ju- I'll jump on this one, shall I? Simon's had to do too much. Um, so I think this has been, there's a lot of misconception, fun enough, Simon and I were talking about this earlier on. Um, there is a lot of misconception about this statement, um, that it's not that it's only going to last till April. Um, but as you would imagine, media and social media especially has jumped on that one very hard. What the Chancellor has done is, I guess, given the government the opportunity to have a more realistic review period. So principally, April isn't the end necessarily, or hey, it might be, but who knows. But what they have the ability now to do is by April make a genuine, I guess, assertion against the position of the country uh, by the time we get to the end of the tax year as to what genuine support is needed after it. Um, And I think that's really, really key um, as this is a statement. But as always, it's very misread by so many parties. I'm going to guess it's starting to go into opinions and views to a certain extent. But yes, it, he, he hasn't said it's ending in April. He's saying it's uh, the current scheme runs till April. We'll review what we do from there on. So it is very much a future review. But I guess they're coming from an angle as if we make a commitment to pay £400 a household um, for two years to the energy companies, then it gives them license to do whatever they like. Whereas I guess there's probably a view of thinking, come on, why aren't you producing cheaper energy? And it does seem strange, doesn't it? We've gone into a, you think, oh, 
electricity was cheap, gas was fairly expensive before, maybe at times, you know, we go, let's go more electric, you know, let's have our electric cars, Nick, like we have. But, uh, and then we realized that actually all that electricity is, or quite a significant amount of it, is made by burning gas. So we're burning gas to make the electricity. So that's why the prices of electricity is going up. And it's sort of, well, aren't we all full of wind and sun now? We've had a fantastic sunny year. Uh, we should have loads of stored up sun solar power. Um, but no, majority of our electricity comes from burning gas. I want to bring us back slightly to um, Richard when we were talking about the poll. He said we're going to get into national insurance in just a minute. Let's let's, let's get into national insurance now if we can. We know that the national insurance costs uh, promised by Prime Minister Liz Truss are still going to go ahead, as I understand it. I wonder if you could just uh, talk us through uh, the situation regarding national insurance. Yeah, I think this would have been the, the straw that broke the camel's back if they'd have reversed this one as well, given the rhetoric before it came in. Um, the view of the implementation of costs, even though obviously the argument was always if you went to the man on the street and said, will you pay an extra fiver for healthcare? You'll be, they'd all say yes. Um, but I think in principle, and, a, and a, a lot of people said, you know, before April, we're probably a year too early anyway. Um, it was a very common perception of this that they jumped the gun by 12 months, given we were coming out of COVID. And even at that point, obviously nowhere near the position we were in, that this one would have just been too much to bear, I think, if they'd have actually reversed this one as well. Um, obviously, software developers would have been horrified, given they're probably way down the road now. But I think, you know, it's probably the right decision to make. They've got to keep and give back something. Um but actually, we're not getting anything. We're just not paying as much extra that we were going to. I guess on a payroll, let's get very payroll centric. This does make certain areas even more complicated than they were going to be. So if you think about uh, Class 1A and Class 1B national insurance, first of all, you were already having to calculate two different levels of national insurance against your benefits for the year. You're now going to have free calculations within one year. Um, which is going to make uh, a significant amount of labour requirement around PLMD calculation, unless you have software that's clever. But also, obviously, that same issue then goes over to directors, um, where it is a cumulative NI bill for the year. Well, that number just keeps moving, and it's moved, obviously, now again to another level. So I think day-to-day payroll, um, because obviously it's non-cumulative, um, it has to, you know, it's good that it's still occurring because it is a saving. Um, the losers are obviously software developers who are having to rebuild again. Um, but there is obviously this knock on for the non class one national insurance standard, um, which creates work. Most definitely. We've had a, you know, on the outline, we've had so many calls about I've got benefits. I'm doing P11D. What NI rate am I using? Am I just using the one at the time I do the P11D or no, it's it's relative to the month. So uh, I think, you know, again, a bit of a double-edged sword for a payroll. Yeah, Simon, I see you nodding along to, to some of that. And obviously as someone who's part of the, yes. the hiring committee for software developers as well, I'd be keen to get your commentary on, 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 on your thoughts on this. Yeah. So, um, I chair the BCS payroll specialist group as well. So that's British computer society. Um, uh, have done that for a few years, taking over from Norman Green 
some years back. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a tough year for software developers. It's going to be another tough year. In many ways, the chances reversal of lots of the proposals actually makes it slightly easier for April 24, assuming we stick with that, because in effect, we don't have to go ahead with some projects that initially we'd have to cut out. But the November change is going to be interesting. Um, uh, yeah, payrolling and Class 1A, it doesn't really fit because P11DB, but as they'll say, the P11DB assessment point is actually 5th of April 2023. So the 14.53% point uh, rate applies to benefits but then you've got starters and leavers and I think as Richard's indicating on the director what do you do with the direct two left in May because in effect the national insurance is now wrong um, and uh, some use the alternate method and others use the standard annual method the standard annual method will just come out in the wash as long as someone's paid again uh, for that for the others if they've gone your national insurance uh, records are all wrong so they need to have some sort of trigger and recalculate. Um, so it's a strange. We've in effect split um, now into three or four different things, haven't we? So employees are now different to directors, whereas they used to be the same. They're now different. They'll return again in April 23 to being similar again. Class 1A on terminations and supporting testimonials is point of payment determines so you don't have the blended rate on that. You have the 15.05 or the 13.8. Uh, but for class 1A on benefits and, and PSAs, it's this 14.53 regardless. So um, lots of people like to do notional calculations in the payroll to predict what these values will be. Well, they'll all be wrong now. They're the <laughs> wrong value. Um, you can recalculate and just use it as a means of putting money aside. Uh, you'll have been putting more money aside than you really need to, so it doesn't matter. It's just when you come to your filing, you need to do what's right, not what you've been doing all year. Um, so interesting times. We've certainly communicated out to all our customers about the change. I think the changes are going in next week and, and the weekend following for the uh, 6th of November. Uh, you could say that's fairly tight. Uh, well, that's pretty quick turnaround actually to get all this stuff tested because now you've got directors, ordinary oics, testimonials and sport and sporting and, and terminations all doing different things now and PSA and PBIC. Um, of course, we were asked to do a message at the beginning of the year telling everybody that 1.25% was uh, for the funding of health and social care. Um, true for England, not necessarily true for Scotland or Wales or Northern Ireland, but for England that was true. But everyone was asked to do that message. You've now been asked to stop it. So if you've been putting the message on, take it off. Um, saying that, when the new Prime Minister comes in, we might put something else on instead. Um, so it is an interesting time, but I think uh, we're getting there. Some will say, will other things come in for April 23? Um, HMRC actually have issued the technical specifications for 23 and things like health and social care levy or anything else are not there. So there is an element of some certainty. I guess they could change it, but there is some certainty that there's nothing in the HMRC IT plan for introducing anything new or even anything that was previously announced as coming back. 
they've actually we'll have a yeah. we'll have a dog and cat levy by April probably. Yes. So, uh, be something. Well, there was some, also, there was some yeah. hint of international levy as well at one point. So I think that's oh, yes, just disappeared. Really. Thank goodness. But I'd say just following off with Simon very quickly, um, there is serious impact on employers around staff confusion now. I think you know a lot of employers spent a lot of time so. You see, as Simon does, I speak to numerous employers every week where they built systems and they built processes and they gave staff calculators to work out what it was going to the impact was going to be on them. All of a sudden, that's all going again. And there's probably another uh, period of education for the staff again. Um, and I think that uh, that's a, probably the biggest issue for payroll day to day. Is, you know, people will be confused. They're not all payroll people like you and I who get it, understand it, know what the score is. When all of a sudden in November, their pay changes again. Um, and I think it's yes. going to be a very challenging month. I really do. Well, I've dropped into there's the chat. A, there's another angle. Sorry. There is another angle, Nick, which is, of course, is, of course, some people may have upped or changed their salary sacrifice arrangements to benefit from the additional, uh, well, 1.25% is two and a half percent in reality. Uh, difference that this year made and some employers I think we've seen that in some of the chats we've been involved in Nick um, are obviously some give the NI saving to employees yeah. in some other form so it might be an enhanced pension where you've given them something you're not going to be paying anymore so there's yeah. amateur do they have to change their decisions on what they've done because that 1.25 or that 2.5%, if you add them both together, is no longer there. And that's absolutely key because, as I said, again, going back to earlier in the year, people were revisiting salary sacrifice as a way of supporting their staff to minimise the impact of the NI increase. So, yeah, it's an absolutely massive point, Simon. It's far more demotivating to take something away than it is motivating to give someone something. So there will be impacts here from a recruitment perspective that you're going to see with disenfranchised employees. If an employer does then change the goalpost because of the government changes. Just to be clear for everyone, I've put what I understand to be the correct um, uh, changes into the chat, chat. So have a look at that. So I think they reflect what Simon and, and Richard have been talking about. But also just in case anyone missed it, the health and social care levy with the in-out, in-out things we're discussing here, the cancellation of the planned health and social care levy um, is still going ahead at the moment. But of course, that could all change. Um, I've got here as well to go continuing plans to cut stamp duty. Um, now, not necessarily directly uh, relevant for, for payroll, but absolutely something that's in the in-out section here and impacts the way that we're saving to, to, to change properties and to change houses. Uh, so, Simon, I wonder if you could just uh, run us through the, the, those plans to, to cut stamp duty. Um, well, I'll try my best, but I won't remember a lot of the detail, Nick. But this was originally proposed to increase the stamp duty cut. Uh, and uh, that was announced that came into force on the 23rd of September. That bit I do remember, and that's not being reversed out. It's passed. It's gone through. It's carrying on. And I think the principle here that Jeremy has done is he's cancelled anything that hasn't gone through Parliament and kept everything that has gone through Parliament. So the National Insurance Repeal had already passed before he was appointed to the job. So that's why that's staying. Um, so anything before. But uh, but yes, someone else might know more on the actual details of the stamp duty, but it's staying. I've got no, a couple of things in the chat. Yeah, it's I've a stimulation. In, sorry, I'll come back yeah. to this one more moment. In, yes. The increase in the residential stamp duty threshold to 250,000 
and a corresponding yes. increase in the first-time buyer threshold to 425,000, which took effect from 21st September, will mm-hmm. remain in place. Sorry, back to you, uh, Richard. No, as I say, you know, this is also something that stimulates the market. Um, so you can understand why this would be probably more or um, realistic to keep. But then, you know, you could then be, let, let's be negative, be devil's avocado, putting people into more debt when the interest rates are only going in one direction, which they might not have considered if the stamp duty had remained as it was. So, well, winners and losers. And there is an area that does affect possibly as in payroll if we're in private business and we've got shares and involved is a change to the company share option plan doubling has also going ahead because that was announced and has been passed. So that will happen from April 23 so that the, uh, the, it goes to the, the 60,000 pound limit, uh, can be issued to employees and easing the worth of having restrictions, you know. So um, if you operate uh, CSOPs, uh, that has been doubled. And there's also the Seed Enterprise Investment Scheme as well. So that's uh, increased and that is going ahead. So there are some proposals from 20th of September that are continuing. That last one hasn't much to do with payroll, but the CSOP does. Well, I know that Richard just mentioned that, uh, you know, people are getting into more and more debt and st- some of these changes aren't necessarily going to help with that. One of those um, things we're going to get into in a minute is the energy bills um, side of things. Before we do, we've had a question come in just to keep us on the NI um, focus for the moment, which says the 1.25 percent NIC reversal in November will have no effect on payments made earlier in the tax year. So would it be fairer to collect NI on a cumulative basis like tax so that retrospective changes could be more easily implemented? Richard. Well, this came up five, six years ago, is it now, Simon? Yes. I yeah, sat in a room. It's been a couple of um, yes. consultations. I sat in a room at a conference, if I remember, near a Christmas, about six years ago, where NI announced very openly that cumulative NI was the future, um, and there was a plan, but it seems to have disappeared into the weeds forever, I guess. Yes, it depends on the priorities of the politicians at the time. And I think we had a change of politicians and it wasn't their priority to do anything about it. The other angle, and we do see it a lot, is is national insurance a tax. And sometimes it's quite clearly announced as being a tax and other times it's not uh, because they don't want to seem to be increasing taxation uh, when national insurance goes up. So it's a very... Juggles, so they like. magically they magically align the two thresholds, but they're not anything yeah. to do with each other. So yes, talk so. about getting into to, to more debt. Uh, Richard, you mentioned before the energy price guarantee due to be in place for two years from October 22. Uh, the chance has announced this measure will now only remain in place until April 23. Tell us more. Well, as I said, I think it is pretty much what we said earlier on about this. I think it's not only going to be in place till April. I think primarily this is more about being realistic, not, I guess, holding the purse strings to ransom over a long term decision because they could have made lots of others. You know, they could have cut that on petrol for two years only to find that petrol drops to cheaper than it was before. So I, I you know, if it had been, it's definitely going to end in April, then I think there would have been more for raw. But as I mentioned at the start of this little sort of section, it's not the end. It's giving them a review period to possibly change it. So I think we'll have to see because nobody knows. You just don't know what's going to happen, do you? 
no, what's going to happen with the war and what's going to happen with everything else. So, But uh, I do believe there has been an alcohol duty freeze, right? The alcohol duty rates now not being frozen for the 23, as previously announced. Simon, any thoughts on that? Are you familiar with the uh, alcohol duty freeze? I'm sure you will be. As I drink a lot, uh, Nick, no, which no, I don't. Or because you're an expert. You probably think the most, two most detailed payrollers in the UK. As he spits from his hip flask. So you think the worst two people to talk to about alcohol. Yes, I think the last drink of alcohol I had was probably uh, 40 years ago. I didn't know it was. <laughs> but, I had uh, a glass of wine two weeks ago. That helped. Yes. So, so in many ways, you could say say this is probably a bit of bad news, isn't it, for the uh, for the drinks industry? Because well, I guess there are elements to to uh, make it um, l- less taxed, so therefore encourage um, the growth of the industry. And of course, that's been wiped away, and that is an element of some of these uh, wiping away. Some, of the, I mean, the IR35 people were probably uh, uh, having parties for a day or two, and then suddenly it was all cancelled. Um, that might be the same here a little bit, is the, yes, the former uh, drinks relaxation have gone. Have you ever asked yourself, how can I recruit payroll staff effectively? Please don't give up on your recruitment project just yet. Here at JGA Payroll Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top payroll talent. We also understand just how costly a poor payroll hire can be. JGA Recruitment are a niche payroll recruitment agency who will partner with you to resource payroll candidates who will improve both the accuracy and efficiency of your payroll department. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. Beyond just the budget, I know we're going, we could be here for a long time. The long and the short of it is we don't really know what's going to happen yet until we have a new prime minister and we have the 31st of October and so on and so forth. So before we jump into the next poll, I'm just going to ask Richard and Simon if you could just briefly summarise um, the ins and outs of the recent budget and then we'll move on to, to the next poll. So I'll start with you, Richard. Overall summary. Um, I think it was a careless decision made on the back of promises to get into a job. Um, where the country couldn't afford it. I think that it has been very damaging um, outside of payroll um, to the status of what's happening. Um, I think from a payroll aspect, in some respects, it's positive for payroll, but not for employees, because it will cut if it stays as it is. Um, quite a hefty change in administrative control and also a huge amount of education. Uh, but on a negative side, the continuing flux, the variations within year, which we haven't really seen, have certainly impacted what was meant to be a quiet period as we all came out of COVID. So I, I think it is so two-sided for everything. Um, but I think, you know, she she wanted the job, the Prime Minister Liz Truss, she made commitments that, we couldn't afford, um, which is why Rishi didn't, because perhaps he was, and you suspect given what he did before, was probably more in tune with the situation. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's becoming very uncomfortable knowing what's going to happen week on week, I think, now. 
in the irony is that the growth plan was brought in to simplify the process and it just made Absolutely. everything a lot more complicated. How about yourself, Simon? How would you summarise? Oh, yes. I mean, all the tax measures that actually um, help the individual have virtually gone apart from the national insurance. So the 1% uh, reduction is gone. Um, many of it, I don't, don't think we'll be on the 45% rate, will we? Well, maybe some of us will be, but uh, uh, would that have benefited? I think that was a problem for um, George Osborne originally when he dropped it from 50 to 45. He'd probably have liked to have got rid of it. So I understand an element of the sentiment there, but I think there's an element of uh, you got to think much more wider in the policy. Now, the national insurance change for November is a national insurance change for April as well. So I don't think we've got to remember that is we've got this funny three year change here, but it then reverts back to normal. But this, the, the settings won't be normal. Does that make sense? So we have to make them be normal again. So there is significant uh, change also of course, impacting April 23, no matter what's announced on the thresholds, even if they don't change them, because um, we've got this strange going up and coming back down. Um, so interesting times. Super. But Let's I think also on the back of that, I was going to say just very quickly, Nick, also on the back of that, in front of, we spoke about this a few months ago, Simon, when we were in Birmingham. Um, people aren't really thinking about what's happening with things like the primary and I threshold next year either. Uh, if we are, you know, what is going to happen around the tax freeze? Remember, we're all in a, a basic rate and uh, limit freeze until 2026. Um, is that still de rigueur going forward if we change again? But importantly, if you remember, they and we, I just spoke about it, they did align the NI primary threshold to the tax threshold or the, the personal allowance threshold. So are we now saying that the primary threshold's frozen as well now till 2026? So I think there's a hell of a lot of stuff that we don't really know yet officially. Um, I think, you know, after Christmas especially, there could be quite a lot for us to actually configure, understand and put into place. So, uh, yeah. Well, of course, for those who are watching that, this, that's why PQT could be so valuable. So as those questions come in, as the things change, we'll try and tackle all of this in real time as well as, well as we can of the issues that are happening and impacting the world of payroll. So do stay tuned every single time. Do sign up for each uh, PQT in advance and hopefully we'll be able to give you the answers you need as we go through. And we're going to go to a bit of a thought leadership poll next. And this is quite interesting. It's something we wanted to ask you, which is what's the most demanding thing on your time at the moment? Is it we know that HR, because we know HR is going through huge levels of transformation, organisational development, new systems. Perhaps they're really pulling on your resources at the minute as they want more data, more analytics. Uh, You know, there's a real close relationship between HR and payroll now. So maybe they're pulling on your time. Maybe it's finance for very much the same reasons, or maybe it's the external employees with all these questions we're trying to tackle on PQT today with all these changes in government policies. Maybe the employees are really unsure about what's going on and they're really draining your time. Or maybe it's HMRC with the constant changes. We're going to talk about the new starter checklist in just a moment, but also the HMRC and the regulations and compliance demanding uh, they demand from you. Maybe that takes up most of your time. So really keen to find out 
where you find most of your time being stretched towards between these four elements. Uh, and when we get those results in a minute, we're going to comment on those. Before we do um, get those results, we've had another question come in. So we'll ask this while we're waiting for everyone to get their responses in. Uh, the question is this. If Kwasi Kwarteng's budget measures had been released over a longer term, does the panel think there might have been a more positive reaction? Let's uh, start with you there, Simon. Uh, potentially, I guess there's an element of could it have been dressed in a different way? And I think potentially it could. What if the 45 dropped to 44 and then 43 and 42 over a series of years? Um, and equally the 19%. But it's sort of the whole lot's been thrown out, hasn't it? The baby's gone with the bathwater. Um, on the 19% uh, percent implementation, which I guess was seen as a means of helping us. But yes, I think if it would have been uh, addressed in different ways or different timings, then fine. But I think it was, um, it probably came out as a little bit of a boast type activity with little thought. But, uh, that's alright. You can go with the new cake and alcohol tax that will come in. Is that right? Maybe I'm, I'm a bit I'm, 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 uh, dog cheek there. Cats and dogs. That's right. <laughs> Anything you want to add to that, Richard, before we get these results? No, in? I think it was an absolute, I think it was a decision that was made to get into a role and then they just basically uh, opened the garage door and pulled out a bulldozer. Sure, sure. That's okay, nice. excellent. Let's see what these results, are, these results look like. Of course, if any of you want to comment on specifically why you picked the result that you did, please do drop me a message mm-hmm. and I'll be interested to read out those comments to the panel as well. Uh, 63% of you say that HR is the, the biggest stretch in your time, uh, followed by finance at 18%, external employees 9%. You might find that number goes up as the changes change, but it'll be interesting to see. And HMRC at 9%. What are your thoughts on those results? Let's start with you, Richard. Um, I, well, obviously, I'm just guessing, but would HR be a lot to do with the fact that we've changed how we work? Um, there are huge challenges in a lot of businesses due to hybrid, home working, uh, people requirements, effects on contract. Um, so, I mean, from people I speak to, that seems to be still um, quite a high profile area where there's a lot of requirement. Um, but I guess also as we are changing and we are seeing a lot of change, a lot more, I guess, focus on well-being on people management that you could understand why HR are, are probably very high profile in any business and has a lot of requirement. Absolutely right. And we're seeing as well that the uh, the connection between pay, the role of the payroll professional and the uh, the employee well-being has never been more closely aligned than it is right now. So that wouldn't be surprising. I think you raised a really good point there, Richard. How about yourself, Simon? What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting results, actually. Uh, it'd, be, it'd be good to try and slice that a little bit further down to find out what predominantly those are, because a lot of that HR um, demand may just be business as usual, but it's there something strange going on. So it's an element of uh, maybe thinking, can, can we do a bit of research on that? Well, to find out interestingly, what, what are those? Kristen has pointed in, and I think this is probably is the case. Part of an HR WhatsApp group I'm part of, certainly something I'm seeing a lot of conversation about, which is, of course, related to the cost of living. Kristen said that's all anyone wants to talk about lately. We've spent a lot of time reviewing ways to support our colleagues in payroll. In addition to budgeting for a cost of living payment, financial advisors, fixing pay dates, food in the office, breakfast twice a month, etc., etc., it's a big uh, demand on payroll time. Um, so cost of living certainly having a huge impact in uh, in how much HR are demanding from payroll in terms, I guess, what can and cannot be done and then how you go about doing it. 
Uh, would that would that give you some context potentially to some of those results, Simon? Well, potentially so. And I guess if we talk about other experiences of C, sometimes I think there are uh, reactions which are seen as a human um, uh, means of dealing with the challenges that people have. But sometimes that becomes a bit of a headache for the payroll or benefits people, because uh, what hasn't truly been considered is the uh, tax and national insurance implications or the PSA or the P11D, um, because sometimes a good idea just seems like a good idea without um, actually understanding what that means in reality of uh, pounds and pence. But just just but, for giggles uh, here, I won't I won't give the name away of who's made this comment, but I've had a comment pop in that said HR are just useless accuracy, so we're always picking up their errors. <laughs> there we are. So it'd be interesting maybe to, to delve into no, that a little bit more detail in a future show. Let's talk more about the dog and cat tax quickly. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I was just going to say that. Another another key area which it must be at the moment, it must be something real close to your heart, Nick, is turnover. You know, sure. we are seeing unprecedented changes in staffing, um, turnover of staff, um, the huge recruitment void. And surely that also must put a huge uh, emphasis on HR's responsibility with payroll currently. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely right. I mean, there's a, a definite, uh, I hate the cliche, war for talent, but it's out there at the minute. And um, HR certainly keen to try and improve retention and attraction strategies, which absolutely impacts the world of payroll as well. Interestingly, I've had another comment coming in. I think this is a topic we need to discuss in more detail on a future show because the comments are coming in thick and fast. We've had HR also rushes, uh, rushing around in green cars to look good. And then someone else commenting saying, haha, that's finance. Anyway, let's jump into the uh, the next section, the HMRC's new starter checklist. I'm going to bring this to Simon's attention. He's a bit of an expert when it comes to HMRC checklists, I hear. So, uh, Simon, take us away. OK, sure. So uh, now we've come out of COVID, we've got the uh, quality people of HMRC starting their exercises up and looking at what's going on with employment. Now, um, we probably all think that HMRC records have been pretty good. They've always been pretty good, whereas the reality is um, HMRC records have been pretty dis- much a disaster up to pre-2012 when RTI came in. And I think then they realised how much of a real disaster they'd had before because they're only dealing with end of year. But at the moment, they're kind of analysing what's going on because some of the RTI data accuracy coming through is considered poor. And it's something that uh, Rich and I have discussed as as well before uh, this call, is um, what we think as employers is acceptable. The HMRC don't, and let's cover some areas. So the HM Revenue and Customs are aware that they don't receive accurate starter checklists for 3 million new starters a year. That seems phenomenal, doesn't it? I know they have approximately 4.5 million temporary reference for, um, quarantine records on where national insurance numbers are wrong, dates of birth are wrong, names are wrong, etc. And there's an element of what's going on. So I think they've had this exercise to review the starter checklist. They've now made a new interactive starter checklist. They're encouraging employers to use it to get better <laughs> tax coding application. Um, so they're now giving a series of interactive questions that an employee can ask. And I think it even gives you the ability to email it to your employer. 
But I think we're probably still a little bit in an HR and payroll world. I I think HR have a tendency to feel this is a payroll problem and payroll need to get it from onboarding from HR. There's an element of just in the same way as you get right to work checks, you can't give someone a job if you haven't verified their right to work. There should be an element of, oh, and at the same time, declare your tax position. And at the moment, uh, HMRC is seeing 3 million undeclared starter FPS notices, which to me tells me the employer hasn't bothered to collect them at all or they're doing something else. And that's a real concern to them because that leads to duplication, incorrect universal credit claims. You've got individuals who are financially struggling, struggling, paying tax when they don't need to because they're paying 20% of everything they earn, when actually they may have no tax to pay. So one way of helping them with their financial troubles is to stop them paying tax where they don't need to. And so this is uh, the area. So the questions have been changed slightly. I think the instruction to employers on what to do with the ABC are slightly better. Um, but I think there is an element of thinking employers, when you get someone to start, they need to complete a start checklist. We could say, oh, well, they're bringing the P45 next month. Next month is too late. If you're paying them now, it's actually needed day one. Oh, they'll bring it in next week. If you bring it in next week, it's too late. Under the FPS design, you can't notify a starter checklist after the first payment. It's impossible. And if you do, you'll duplicate the record. They'll now think they have two employments. And so it's an element of just being aware and thinking, okay, is it time to review our start process and ensure that these three million are reduced down to virtually hundreds of uh, starters? Because it impacts their well-being, their credits, claims, tax credits, universal credits. It impacts them as people, as our colleagues. Well, a couple of questions coming in on this. Well, I knew you'd be on a soapbox. This is an area you're passionate about. The HMRC started checklist. Who knew? Um, It's the first question here. Are our employees, comes in from Liz Curran, do not know what to tick on the starter checklist, A, B or C? Uh, Has the new one then simplified? You mentioned a little bit it may have been simplified. Has it been simplified? Yeah, uh, to a certain extent, yes. It takes them through a series of questions, so it's driving them to the right. So there's an element of if you've not worked before, the 6th of April, and uh, and this is your only job, it's A. If you've had a job since the 6th of April and this is your second job, it's still your main job, it's B. And if you've got more than one job, you know, as you're employed in multiple jobs, it's C. And I think it's actually asking them that sort of question to define it more. But I think the concern of HMRC is that actually the employees either haven't answered any question or the employer actually hasn't submitted anything. I think that's where they're talking about these three million. They're getting millions where there is no declaration, putting them on zero T1. And zero T1, no declaration or declaration C would be on the FPS automatically in that case. It would be a C. Zero T1 tells them you haven't fulfilled the requirements under the regulations. I'm going to test your knowledge a little bit here, Simon, because maybe this is obvious for payroll professionals. I've never had to do one, so I'm not too sure. But it says, has question nine 
on the starter checklist being rewritten on the checklist because 80 percent of employees misunderstand that and answer incorrectly. Now, I'm going to ask you this without checking, Simon. No, I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Sam. Well, question at... nine. Well, well, question nine is different now, isn't it? So it's not quite what uh, we say. Was it? Do you receive uh, payments from a state workplace or private pension? Is question nine. I think we're talking about question eleven through to uh, thirteen on the starter checklist these days. Um, no, it hasn't gone the way I proposed to them. Uh, three years ago, because I only had two questions, and they they were, do you have a student loan, <laughs> and which one, and and that was it. In fact, I didn't even ask them. It was uh, if you have a student loan and it applies in blah blah blah, just declare what it is, and they didn't go with that, but um, sort of. And I think what's been hinted is the question is a bit of a double negative, and I think that's what people get confused about. But the reality is. Do they have one? Um, yes or no. But uh, but they have kind of made it a little bit clearer, clearer that do you have a student or postgraduate loan? They have made it clearer of no, great, go straight to the declaration. Whereas I think the previous version was a little bit more confusing. So halfway house. Well, as, as an observation here, nothing more. I have a friend, I think I have two friends of mine. Unfortunately, I was not one of these people that mine's paid back in full, uh, who never actually left university with, with similar debts to mine 20 years ago and never paid back a penny. They just never, ever had anything collected. So maybe they're one of those three million records that have been put in incorrect, but they, um, whether they get found later or not, Simon, I don't know, but <laughs> they've never paid back a penny with 20 years on now. Um, they just, never well, got that's good. Was it around 20 years ago? I've got to think. <laughs> <laughs> on that. Uh, time just flies by, doesn't it? So, uh, um, and you think, how long have these things existed for? But, uh, but interesting. It is interesting. Or maybe they're one of these others, because uh, the other uh, you might find interesting statistic is national insurance numbers. Um, I'm just aware that uh, there are uh, 5,238 people with the national insurance number AB123456A. So um, I think you find there are um, a number of uh, uh, thousands of people where the national insurance numbers being supplied are just made up. Uh, that also impacts universal credit claim and pensions. And if you genuinely have some of these numbers that uh, I'm aware of, then they're going to get tremendous pensions when they retire, aren't they? The genuine one, anyway. Absolutely right. I mean, I was sickening for me having paid it back to find out some of my friends didn't have to. Well, there you go. Yes, luck of the draw. But ah. We've had a few no, more I'm questions gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm going to publish mine. I think it's <laughs> a really good idea. I'm going to run through a couple of questions to come in. Obviously, a popular subject here. Uh, Kristen just makes a comment saying, yes, the double negative exclamation mark. So good point there, Simon. Um, Fern comes in and says, we ask the new starters to complete the form before they join, which often leads to them picking box C as they're currently employed elsewhere and it causes issues every month. Yeah, that's education. That yes. isn't it? It's just the case, unfortunately. I think the bigger problem, and, you know, I've heard it so many times, we can't be bothered because HMRC will sort it out. And that is just such a ridiculous statement to make because, you know, especially with all due respect to lower paid people, it has an enormous impact on them when they start working with you, when they probably need the money the most. Yeah. So I think there is a lot of ignorance That's with all really due respect to the industry. Yes. Really good point. And it, and it, 
and it doesn't explain the zero t one um which I think is what they're seeing with most of these cases that would explain the b r s because that's what tick box c does, but if it's undeclared, it's only the zero t one well, a few um, other observations so, yeah. here. Obviously a very um, emotive subject. Who knew that the, the start of is bringing out here? But Cavi's comment had said, even if they provide a P45, the P45 does not let us know what student loan they are on. We still get the employee to complete one. If they have a P45, does the interactive start list let them carry on if they have a P45? Um, I've never tested the, it out, but I would have hoped so that to the extent of uh, the completion of the questions. But uh, I don't know, to be honest, uh, Nick. No, and on Nick. the back of that, I mean, we could go back to, I think it was August or no, a bit later on, um, September or October, HMRC were very clear in their employer bulletin about when you should be completing the new starter checklist. And it is yes. on two occasions. Number one, when they do not supply you with a P45 on day one. And number two, if they have provided you with a P45 and they tick the student loan box. It's, it's, it's very clear. Yeah. Well, to take the conversation full circle back to you, Simon, I, sus- I suspect this is uh, back to that HR or is it payroll responsibility response here. We've had someone at Emma's commented say, we issue new starter checklists to all new joiners, but some don't return them to us. When this happens, would you suggest it's our responsibility to chase them up? Um, I, I think that this goes back to the days of Margaret Knights. I don't remember that, those sort of days, Richard, but possibly there yeah, was the yeah. policy leader that, you know, yeah, I thought you would be because you had only been four then. Um, the yes. policy lead at HMRC that, um, in fact, encouraged, I mean, it's going back to the P46 days, encouraged the P46 incorporation into the start form. So there's an element of, I'm sure the data quality people would like to encourage employers to make it part of their induction process. So, in effect, you when you're putting your bank account details, you want to get paid, you also make your declaration. And you don't have to use the form. Uh, the principle then is uh, you could actually adapt it into your own form and start process, but to collect. I think the encouragement would be to get it done. Um, yeah. Yeah. Understand yeah, that some don't want to. To say, and I don't know if either of you may have an answer to this one, but are larger or smaller employers the worst culprits for not filing new starter checklists? Yes, is the answer. Yes, larger ones. Sorry. <laughs> No, it's the mall, I think you find. I think. I, I, uh, I, I'd say there's, yeah. there's less process with all due respect in a smaller business. So I would probably, if you polled me, I would probably poll on the same side of Simon and say it's more likely going to be the smaller businesses. So you're both in, you're both in agreement. Um, I've got a question. Well, no, I'm not, I'm not Nick. I think it's a mixture of both. I think, uh, if, if, uh, you had the HMRC CDIO, uh, looking at this, and they named the, some of the largest culprits. Some of them would be quite large employers. Substantial. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, question comes in from Joe Gibson. It says, temp to perm employees always consider their temp employment as the same job, even though we outsource the temps. I get a lot of false A statements. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting aspect. I guess there's an element of thinking, um, it's it is the employer's employees declaration. So yeah. should we police and deal with an employee's declaration? And I'd suggest no. But HMRC will potentially correct that. Going back to Richard's thing about we shouldn't expect that. I think it's 
complete the declaration and take the declaration completed. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to see why that error may occur. You know, if you're working on site somewhere as a tent, you'd, that, that's how you'd, you'd read it, um, yes. which is a good point. Well, yeah, and last but not least, people will read what they want to read and sign what they want to sign. I think it's a, it's a very yeah. difficult area. I think we're starting to check this as well. Let's be honest. I mean, how much attention are the employees really giving to them? They just see it as a quick form, quick read, not realising the impact that the wrong statement can potentially have on payroll. I think maybe that's where there's an education gap on the employees themselves. Well, and there are auditors in it because it's not a perfect world. So I think the encouragement here isn't for perfection. I think it's for improvement. But uh, when my daughter went to uni, uh, there was an element of uh, she worked at, I know, a pizza restaurant, a theatre and a shop. So three jobs. There are probably only a few hours here, there and everywhere. What do you do on the completion? And this is after the student, uh, the old student tax uh, form that we used to have. And uh, she asked her dad, guess what, what I told her to tick? And that was A on the lot. And you think, well, that's wrong. But the reality is if you added all those employment incomes together, added together, they didn't exceed £3,000. So she so wouldn't last, have been due to pay tax in any of them. Last but not least, and on this subject for now, I've got Tina's comments. that said, why do HMRC not use NI numbers to recognise people on the FPS? Do you know? Um, well, they do uh, use them, but not on subsequent submission. So it's an interesting question. And one of the problems that... Um, that HMRC have. So when they when they receive an FPS with an incorrect or a no um, national insurance number on the first submission, they in effect place that individual into a, I'm going to call it a quarantine state or a TRN. So they create a TRN record. When that individual phones up HMRC and asks for a refund, they'll deny they've got a record for them at all. In fact, they'll probably even say you as an employer haven't reported them when actually they're on every FPS record submission. But uh, because they're a TRN, they're sort of frozen to one side. So they'll collect the tax, but they'll deny or associate that with any pension entitlement, etc. Then if you send a national insurance number the next period, if they created it into a TRN, they don't update it They because it becomes a citizen matter. So the new starter form is an official form uh, correction subsequently from individuals aren't. And so there is a little bit of conflict there, but they do try a trace. So even if they get a non um, or, or an invalid number, they will try and identify the individual. But then you've got the problems with the Maggies and the um, the the Riches uh, sort of things, or even the Nick. Are you Nick or are you Nicholas? You know, it's that sort of thing. Yeah. They do have tracing issues and challenges. You see, I'm Simon, but my first name is actually Philip. Uh, just to complicate things. Depends about being good or bad, Simon, usually. <laughs> um, well, there's probably a middle name as well if you've been really bad, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. Well, we'll talk about the HMRC. Let's jump to the next slide. We'll make conscious of time here. I want to find out uh, experiences with the HMRC. We talked a little bit about this in our last PQT and something that was a real hot topic of conversation. Um, I want to find out about whether people are getting too many inquiries. Uh, Do you get NI letter and messages? So, um, Simon, I think you brought this into the slide. So I'm going to stick with you just for the moment and just wonder if you kick us off. 
Uh, sure. We, you know, two of the organisations I chair, I mean, uh, Rich and I both sit on the employer payment group of uh, HMRC, um, but I chair the BCS payroll specialist group and uh, an organisation called Irene, which is a user network. But we're seeing uh, lots of people having trouble with misbalances on their accounts. And I think there's an element of uh, it would be good at this stage because we're out of COVID understanding a bit more about what people are experiencing. The big one that we're getting lots of reports on is people are getting a message that they're using NI letter M for someone that doesn't qualify for it. However, the message doesn't tell you who. And uh, when you're 30,000 employees with uh, 5,000 people on letter M, it's very difficult and the birth dates all look great and there's an element of whether others are experiencing it and whether there's a pattern for us to take forward and equally expanding that state are the patterns of other things in relation to I don't know even student loan messages because uh, Rich should probably know I'm a big critic of the student loan generic messages because they're a waste of time um, or, or even the ones that you haven't deducted when it's because they haven't earned enough. Your thoughts there, Richard? Is this something? No, I'm not exactly on with Simon. Um, Yeah, I think for an employer there is certain frustration because of what you're actually receiving and how generic it is. And say the GNS messages for statutory for the student loans, for instance, as Simon quite rightly said, um, are horrendous. Um, But uh, no, I think it's are HMRC helping employers with these queries? And I think the question first one is quite right. Are we getting too many from them that are, I guess, over complex or unable to be actioned? I guess. So what 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 can we do? What can we do? What what can people do if, in the situation? What's the? Well, I th- I think. Uh, yeah, I think this is where maybe in some of the forums we need to identify it. But uh, there are a couple of organisations around. So um, Irene can be found at irene.net or irene.uk, I think. Um, the, um, Richard will deal with a number of people. Uh, he's a, sort of a representative under the, uh, I, I don't know, the, the payroll alliance aspect now disappeared and it's now so, the no, payroll so, centre. So, so CIPP and ourselves would probably have quite a similar start point, which is what we're getting in from the members. So we record every single phone call that comes in to the help desk, for instance, and we certainly align those that we believe are important out. Um, and obviously CIPP do exactly the same, um, where we're acting as a, almost like a gatekeeper. And if we got a single one, Perhaps we won't do much about it. If we start seeing trend, then it's absolutely something, as Laura and uh, the guys at CIPP do, um, we start pushing back on those um, because, you know, we're, we're here to represent the industry. So, uh, yeah. But I can be contacted at simon.parsons at sdworks.com. SDworks is with an X. Um, there's, there's things like that. We're just interesting because uh, Richard, no, I've asked a number of queries or concerns at the EPGs over the past three or four meetings tends to get a rebuff a little bit of saying, well, we need, we need primary evidence of the concern. I think it's out there. I'm seeing it with a number of employers, especially this NI letter M message. Are you getting spurious messages? If you are, then uh, that's the sort of information I'm interested in to take to 
um, our friends at HMRC EPG committee to progress, uh, to make better. Because I think uh, the uh, executive secretary who is now in charge of HMRC is interested in simplifying the burden for us as payroll professionals or for employers. We've had a, a delayed question. I'm going to just uh, come jump back before we jump into our hot topics as well. We've got a little bit of time left remaining. It comes in from Yvette Fenson. Uh, it says, delayed question, apologies, but with missing NI numbers, can you submit a Nino request through SD Works? I know you can using Sage. So I don't know. This might be a system specific question. Uh, yes, if you apply it as, N, uh, as non, it will um, respond. So the Nino request is done through the standard process. Um, now, whether we expand that for a, um, a real-time request, etc., it's something that's being explored, but that would be uh, separate to the payroll process. That would be more the onboarding aspect. can be done via the BPT, but it is an automated part of the uh, FPS creation. Great. Well, we've got a little bit of time to jump into some hot topics. Now, we've talked a little bit about one of these, which was the uh, national minimum wage question that was put into the question box earlier on today. So I think we've sort of half tackled that already as to whether or not that's imminent. Uh, we've got some government insecurity, cost of living, UK inflation at 40 year high of 10.1%. I know uh, all of this stuff gets you politically charged, which just let me come to you with this first. Uh, bring us up to speed on your, your views and uh, your thoughts. Um, well, we've already spoken about national minimum wage of these three. Um, yeah. I think it will be later than expected this year. Obviously, we got the earlier announcement with the voluntary living wage, but that was always expected. Um, but they've got to set a, a rate, I guess, firstly, that's realistic against inflation, but then also not set a rate that is inflation that will be unworkable fiscally. Um, I think also there was always the plan and it has another one of these government plans for the last 10 years that it would hit medium salary or percentage of medium salary by next year, um, 24, 25. So, there are already paths in place for areas like that, and there is already plans in place as to what it has to reach. So the I was 10:33 off the top of my head, they're by 24:25. So do they stick or do they twist? Do they consider that this is a singular inflationary period? They've also got to look at obviously the state pension on exactly the same, because remember they got rid of the um, the standard format of um, the free options for this year. Um, are they going to have to do that again? So changing the pension. So there's a lot of things in that area. I think, you know, because it's been such a positive um, webinar, we might as well carry on as we went on. I think we have a, I know, can we talk about something happy? What a roll. Right. <laughs> happy. Um, the cost of living and inflation, yeah. I think we've all got to dig in. I, you know, does anybody see an end to it in the next six months or so? Um, obviously, our friends uh, in Europe um, or Eastern Europe have probably a uh, a plan um, that certainly isn't going to end soon. And I'm not really going to talk about that area anymore. Um, so realistically, you know, if we're on our way back down in six months, I think that would probably be a result. But I think we've got to be girding ourselves for the long haul on this one. Um, more because it's so controlled by so many other areas other than what we can do. Um, so if you think about the fuel cost suddenly puts up everything else and that everything else then hits everything. So there are so many integral parts 
within the process of inflation, probably more than ever, because one is in turn hitting another one, is hitting another one, is hitting another one. But I think, sadly, we've got to be ready for a fair period of time as we are. Um, and, you know, it, it's so volatile. You know, we all got quite excited a couple of years, weeks ago when petrol went down again. So my diesel went down to the 170s and that was hallelujah. And I go to Tesco the next day and it's back up to 185 again. So I think there is so much volatility in the markets. Um, and that, again, is 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 strengthening the, I guess, the resolve of seeing any change in the short term. Yeah, I think one thing that the whole Pearl community can uh, can understand is we've seen just how much the furlough impacted you know, the UK and the amount of payments gone out there, it's got, everything's got to be repaid for. And it's, we're in for a little bit of uh, tightening the belts for a little bit longer going forward, I think. And that's probably going to be here to stay. It's just how we how we manage it and having a solid policy, hopefully, that we can all rely upon that isn't going to change. Just knowing what we're doing is, is half the battle, I think. And then we can prepare ourselves. But I think forward. Jeremy Hunt did the right thing because, you know, given that we are teetering on the edge of, for a lot of people, um, real issues, yeah. The continual escalation of interest rates, for instance, if that was allowed to occur, you know, it, it you know, it, it's not a good story. So we need fiscal stability. I had a quick question on our third topic here, which is national minimum wage imminency. I'm going to go back to you here, Simon. Thank you for a great overview there, Richard. Um, it says the HMRC have taken a tougher stance on national minimum wage breaches over the last few years. Do you think the rules are clear to employers and is the level of HMRC enforcement fair? Um, on the latter one, I think that's subjective, uh, um, and depends on the, um, uh, behavior of the employer. I think, uh, lots of people are being caught by technical breaches. Some of that is because, uh, we don't understand the subject and some of that is more accidental, but, uh, there are a number of challenges around national minimum wage, but increasingly, it's um they've they've got a point to prove because they're under threat, aren't they? So there's going to be this new single enforcement body that's created at some point that may well take the activity away. So they've got to justify the job. Uh, but the other aspect is some employers are a bit unscrupulous out there or don't really understand it. But I think it's becoming tougher. Uh, so they are getting strict in various interpretation, but we don't understand the principle of minimum wage. And living wage doesn't clarify it either. So I'm talking about the voluntary living wage because the voluntary living wage is about the rate of pay you pay. Yeah. If you then sacrificed half of that, you're not in breach of the voluntary living wage because the start point was right. With national minimum wage, national living wage, it's about what you get. So it's what happens in the end that becomes critical not what you get to start with. And I think still we've got a lot of employers in the mindset that it's about the hourly rate and it's not. It's about what agree. you get and how long you've worked. And we have tackled this in previous PQT episodes. Oh, check, check back on previous episodes. Go yes. to the Peril podcast. You can listen to this. We've tackled this in quite a lot of detail as well. So do check there. I'm conscious of time, Richard. So I'm going to say a huge thank you and cut you off from your last comment to say thank you for joining us today. You've been a fantastic guest. Thank you, Simon, as well. Uh, and thank you all of you for joining us on today's PQT. Please join us for the next one. It's on the 25th of November. Thank you so much for tuning into the Payroll Podcast with Nick Day of JGA Recruitment. If you need help with a current payroll vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. 
all contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.